This morning, we're going to try to get back on track for a couple weeks on the Gospel of John, chapter 5. You have read in your hearing 19 through 20, or 19 through 30. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. You know, I'll pick up verse 30. I can do nothing of my own, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I'd like to talk about this morning, if I had to phrase this all up, Jesus basically is telling everybody, I am God. I am God. Just in case... Just like the miniseries, just like TV, we have to rewind and go back. Every time I watch certain shows uh, on TV, uh, you know, Brother Dixon and I, we like to watch Black and Sister Lynn, I think, watches, and my wife and some others, my son. We like to watch The Blacklist. And every time when that show comes off, the one show goes off, the lead in to the new show is last week on The Blacklist. And they give you some little snippets of the last couple of weeks so that when you come, if you're just coming in, you know what's going on. You know, next week, at the end of the show, next week on the blacklist, they give you what's going to happen next week. Well, I'm going to kind of fill in where we left off in the Gospel of John so that when we get to this, we have a better understanding of what all this really means. When we had left, Jesus had just healed the man at Bethesda. He had been paralyzed for 38 long years. And they went to this place that was, uh, there was five colonnades there and all the lame and all the sick, and all the various ones that were there that were uh, palsy and everything else that was going on in terms of some physical illnesses, they met there, and they waited there every year for one time when the water would be stirred, and whoever was the first one to get into the water would be the one who was healed. 
Well, in the previous, early in the chapter, chapter 5, Jesus makes it to this place. And of all the people that were there, there was one man that Jesus saw. And when he came up to him, he just asked this one man of all the people that had been there, because this man had been there 38 years waiting for somebody to put him in the water, waiting for him to be put in the water to get healed. 38 long years he waited, and on this time, of all the people who were there, not that he deserved it any more than anybody else, but Jesus simply asked him the question, do you want to be healed? That's all Jesus asked. Do you want to be healed? Yes or no? That's a simple question. And what happens is the, the, the man that Jesus talked to uh, gives him all the excuses of why he hasn't been healed. Jesus didn't ask him for the excuses. Jesus just asked him, do you want to be healed? He said, well, there's nobody to put me in the water and all this and all that. And, uh, and Jesus simply said, listen, get up. Get up. Take up your bed and walk. He had not been able to walk for 38 years, and all Jesus said to him is, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at the power and the authority of the voice of Jesus, this man gets up, takes up his bed, and walks. Just like that. Boom. Didn't have to wait. Didn't have to tarry. Didn't have to do anything. Just at the voice of Jesus. Well, you know, when every time we do good, there's always somebody around that talks about our good evilly. Or says, well, wait a minute. And this is what happened with Jesus. He had healed this man, tells him to get up, tells him to take up his bed, and the religious people. Always got to watch out for religious folks. They're some dangerous people. The religious people, those who were there to catch things and to see things that weren't right, and when they found out that Jesus had did this, not just on any day, but on what the Jews' most holy days is, the Sabbath day, which for us would be Saturday. They asked the question, wait a minute, when, number one, who is it that told you to do this? And number two, by what authority does he do it? And immediately the, the, the response of the man was, really, I really don't know. Basically, he said, he who healed me is the one that told me, take up my bed, get up, take up my bed, and walk. I really don't know who he is. He came in. He looked at me. He told me, asked me the question. And then he tells me to get up, tells me to take my bed, and then I walk. I really don't know who he is. Well, a few days later, Jesus is still in the same place. He walks in, and he sees, sees this man there, and he basically tells him, you know, ultimately that, you know what? Do you realize really what has happened to you? Because you don't want to find yourself back in the same position. Because what happened was the man figured out who he was, and he went back and told the religious people, that man right there, talking about Jesus, he's the one trying to cover his own behind because he realized, well, wait a minute, the religious people, the, 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 the rabbis and all those people that were looking at this as a negative thing and could have brought down judgment on me because I did something on the Sabbath that I wasn't supposed to do. Listen, I'm going to sell out the guy that did good for me. I'm going to sell out until it's him. That's the guy that caused me to do that. And many of the 
commentators, you know, when Jesus had told him about who he was and and when he went and told the Jews that it was that uh, basically the man was unappreciative and had no semblance of really any salvation. He had been healed by Jesus himself. And yet the ingratitude and the indifference to what Jesus had done for him was made manifest that he was more interested in appeasing the Jewish and religious people than doing what the Lord had told him. Which brings us to chapter 5, verses 19. Because Jesus did this on the Sabbath. And the Jews, verse 18, here's what happens. This is why. You want to know why they killed Jesus? I'm going to tell you why. This is why. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Not only did he heal, but he was saying that God was his father, which for them was like, wow. Now, for us today, when we read this, I was thinking about this this morning as I was reading this passage again. For us, we really don't understand the significance of all of this. Because we sit here and we go, okay, I get it. Okay, verse 19 says, so Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. Okay. But you got to understand that for them, Jesus was saying that he was God himself. And that was like, are you kidding me? I mean, for any mere human to equate himself equal with God spoke volumes to those religious leaders. It started this whole chain of events where they were challenged to try to find out how they could get rid of this guy. Because guess what? Jesus was a threat to their authority. Because they asked that question when he healed the man. By whose authority are these things done? Remember we talked about some of their religious quirks that they had? For instance, you know, you could raise up something, but you couldn't raise it up above your shoulder. You know, all the little quirks that they did to add to the law of God, you know. You could do certain things, but if you, you could clean your you could take care of your house, the room that you were in, but you couldn't go outside of that and do anything else. Keeping, quote, the letter of the law, understanding the spirit of the law. And what they really were challenging was this. Jesus, do you understand that the Bible says the Sabbath day is to be holy? No work is to be done. Really? This is what Jesus is talking about because what Jesus is going to let them know from 19 all the way through is, wait a minute, you got to understand something. I am God. When, and he talks about the various, he compares what God does and then what he does. And what, bottom line, what Jesus is really trying to get them to see is this. If you're telling me that when God made the heavens and the earth on the sixth day, he rested. If you're going to be so legalistic and so nitpicky that you're saying God doesn't work at all, then we've got a problem. What's the problem, Pastor? I'm glad you asked that question. Because if God does no work at all, unquote, for them the Sabbath day, which was Saturday, then guess what? You and I wouldn't be here. Because God does, do, God does do some things because he is God. If God said, I said in the law of the word 
that thou shalt not do any type of work on the Sabbath and you keep it holy, then the fact that he keeps the world functioning, the fact that he sends the rain on the just and the unjust, the fact that the sun rises and the moon sets, the fact that the oceans keep their boundaries, the fact that there's air and oxygen, all that makes up this universe, God consistently does to make sure through Christ he does that so that the world functions and, and maintains itself. If God simply said, I will do no work, we wouldn't be here. Which means what? They missed the whole point of what, who Jesus was. They were more interested in keeping the letter of the law than the fact that this man who had been sick for 38 years had actually been healed and was told that he was now been made whole. How many of us are worried about letters, fine points of certain situations that if we don't if, if, if we don't wear certain colors, if we wear certain clothes, or, or we do certain things, we were talking about this, I don't know if it was Wednesday night or the other night, but we were talking about this. There was a time in our culture that Sunday, Sunday, not the Sabbath, but just Sunday, was a special day in our culture. Amen. You committed, if you, especially if you belong to a church, you committed Sunday as a day that you were going to give to the Lord. There's some things you just would not do because it was, quote, Sunday. And now, Sunday doesn't mean anything, doesn't mean too much to a lot of people. To most people, it's just another day on the calendar. For some, it's just another day off from work. Maybe, because we work 24-7 anymore. There was a time that you didn't uh, cut your grass, times you didn't wash your car, there's times you, you didn't go to the movies, you didn't play ball. I mean, all that that was like this day I am committed. You would come to Sunday school, you would come to morning worship, and back in the old days you had Sunday night, and then and, and some first Sundays you would have uh, communion, all that. You would say, Lord, this day belongs to you. And now we have filled Sunday with everything and anything. We're doing good to come on a Sunday morning one time a week. And we really think that we are doing God a great service. In our book we're doing on Wednesday night of I Will, there was a time that if you came to Bible school, morning worship, Wednesday night, and then sometimes you have Sunday evening services, you were were expected as a member of that particular church to be at all the service, all those services whenever possible. Now, you know, whenever I say this, I, I, I got people who go to the exceptions. God's not interested in the exception. As a general rule, if you can be here, you should be here. Now, if you got to work, got it. If you're sick, got it. But those are exceptions. And we are more quickly to go to the exceptions than we are to maintain the rule. Well, pastor, wait a minute. Suppose, uh-uh. Don't go there. If you can be here, all things being right, then you should be here. That was the old school. That was back in the old days. Now, statistically, if we can get people to come two to three times a month, that is a great thing. So in other words, 75%, four weeks in a month, 75% of the time, we're not here. And yet we're considered to be a member in good standing because we're only here once or twice a month. There's nowhere else you could do that and maintain good standing but in the church. You stay gone from your job 75% of the time, 
thank you, Charlotte. She just spoke right up. She just said, you wouldn't have a job. You try to be married to another person and only be around them, you're, you're gone 75% of the time. You may not be what? Married. It's only in the church of Jesus Christ that we're willing to say that is acceptable. Don't get it? I don't believe it's right, but that's where we are. And what Jesus is trying to get across to these people is, look, why are you not understanding who I, I am God? That's who, you want to know who gave, who gave the authority to do this to this man? God did. And guess what? I am God wrapped up in the flesh. Because he says, and, and he makes this point because he says, truly, truly, which means it is so. It is so. In other words, you need to listen to this. You can put your weight on this. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord. Jesus does nothing without the Father knowing what's going on. He just has to do anything and the Father not know. He says, I can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. As God the Father is, so is God the Son. And later on in the Gospels, and there's some scripture references that, that, that you can have, Jesus basically says, listen, I and the Father are one. When you see me, you see him. Because one of the disciples asked the question, Jesus, when have we seen the Father? And Jesus had to say, wait a minute, why, how did you miss this? When you see me, you see the Father. For I and the Father are one. Same in essence, same in power, same in authority. He just heard it, had it, Jesus just told us, for whatever the Father does, he creates, I create. He forgives, I forgive. Whatever God the Father does, God the Son does the same thing. He says, the Son can do nothing of his own accord. They may be distinct persons, which means there's Father and Son, but Father and Son are one. And they cannot act in opposition to one another. The son will never do something totally opposite of what the father wants done. And the father will never do anything totally opposite of what the son will do. Amen. Jesus let us know that he, Jesus, is the perfect revelation of the father here on earth. God the father is up in heaven. We have not seen God the father. But we can see Jesus, and those that were alive at that time actually saw Jesus with their physical eyes. But we see Jesus through the Word of God and what he was doing. So here's a, here's a visible manifestation of God through Jesus Christ, and when Jesus heals this man, it's as if God himself was doing it. Because in actuality, it was God. Everything Jesus ever does reflects the intentions and the actions of the Father. The Father knows, the Son knows. They are one in being and one in essence, therefore they share the same mind. They're in sync. How many of us, especially some of us, some of us who are married, how many of us can say that we are of the same mind with our significant other, our mate? 
we're in lock sync. Mm, sometimes. Sometimes. Maybe. We're in lockstep. If we're really trying to work at this thing, yes. But, to, you know, I, I was thinking when I was looking at this, I was like, okay, we can know all this. Jesus is God. God is Jesus. They're all the same. They're all this. But what does that do for you? And what does that do for me? That tells me that we can trust who God is. That everything God has ever done has always been perfect. No flaws. No stain. We're not perfect, but God is perfect. So whatever God has done in your life has been done because that's what God wants and is trying to work out for you. I cannot expect you to live my life. You cannot expect me to live your life because I'm not you and you're not me. One thing we have in common is we serve the same God. And all of our, here's the miracle of the church, all of our different backgrounds, all of who we are, the fact that we can come to one place and serve one God, and through all the mess, milieu stuff that we all are swimming through, God uses all of that for his glory. Because there's no way that we could be the church that Christ wants us to be without Christ being in the center of each one of our lives. And maybe the reason why church, this church and others has problems and, and situations is because we're not of the same mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Amen. When you not have the mind of Christ, a lot of the petty, insignificant things that go on, not just in the church, but also in our lives, doesn't mean anything. Amen. Because we got the mind of Jesus. Now guess what? When you not have the mind of Jesus... The fact that I may not speak to you today isn't going to bother you. If you understand, maybe I didn't have time to get to you. Maybe somebody pulled me to the side. Maybe you left right after church was over. Maybe there's other things that are going on. You won't go, he didn't speak to me today, so he doesn't like me. Really? I get amazed at how quick we go to the insignificant when we really don't have all the details. Pastor doesn't love me. Why do you think that? He, he didn't talk to me. And I have people that I'll, I, may not, I may not physically go up and shake your hand, but there's some people that I, if I just go, hey, they got it. But then I have, I was talking to one of the supervisors at UPS uh, the other day, and I told him, I said, one of the things that interests me is, I said, you've got 38 children talking about the drivers. I said, 38 different children that you've got to work and understand. That's sort of like me at the church. I've got 35, 45, whatever it is, children that I have to be able to try to understand so I could be able to be to you what you need me to be. I got some that are sensitive. I got some that are non-sensitive. I got some that this, I got some that. So you get to, it's like in your own house. If you, if you got couple kids in your house, each one of them is different. Some, some of your, one of your children, you could just talk to, and they get it. Now, baby, you know what? Daddy wasn't, daddy didn't like what you were doing. And they go, I'm not mad at you. I'm just trying to get you to understand. They got it. That's all you said. That's all you had to say. Now, the other one, may be the one that you could say, no, you understand what you did? And they, they don't get it. 
So you may have to do some other things that will reinforce what you're trying to say. You know? And that's what the church, we got different person. We come from different schools. And we read things differently. But I want to tell you something. The one thing, and the only thing we have in common is Jesus Christ. And I know people think, Pastor, I don't know why, how, how, do you can, how you can say that. Because, listen, when it comes to this book, this is not Pastor McGee's interpretation. It's the word of God and God's interpretation. And I think what sometimes we fail to realize is some of us have grown up in, in, in churches and grown up exposed to the word. And at the time, the truth that was revealed was maybe the best that they knew. But some of the stuff isn't brand new stuff. This is old stuff. You just didn't know it. And now that you go, oh, wait a minute, we weren't taught that back in the day. Well, no, you may not have been. But as truth is more revealed, as time passes on, you get a better understanding of the word. And so now all of a sudden you got to, and here's the thing, you and I may have to change. I have changed a lot in terms of where I have gone, where I was, and where I am today because of my understanding and study of the word. And that's the same thing about any of us. You can't stay, we cannot stay in 1995. Be honest with you, you can't stay in 2015 because things change just that quick. If we don't stand by what the consistency of the word of God is and then understand where we are in terms of our culture, we will be, we will, the world will fly right by us and we will have no impact. And what Jesus is trying to get them to say is, why are you wondering by what authority am I doing this? I am doing this at the authority of my father. Amen. You have no reason to question me. And they looked at him, well, wait a minute. He said, am I, am I hearing him right? Did he actually say God is his father? Yes, you did. Did he say he's his son? Father? Son? Are you? Wait a minute. How could he say that? That's blasphemy. He could say it because it's true of him. Of him. It's true. He says, everything the father does, guess what? The son does the same thing. You're not going to see them out, out of step. He says, guess what? Here's why. The father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. God said to his son, I'm going to show you all of who I am. Because really all of who I am is all of who you are. Now that word loves is not the word agape. It's the word phileo. You told you what agape meant last week. Phileo is a love of deep feelings, warmth of affection that a father feels for his son in this situation. A deep what? Feeling. What, what, how do you know that, Pastor? Well, let me think. When Jesus was getting baptized, what did the father say? This is my what? Beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The fact of a deep sense of feeling that God the Father has for his son. I mean, that was that, that, that's, that's a special relationship above and beyond. Yes, God does love agape. But here, and this is the only time this is used in the whole New Testament, he uses the word phileo to tell, I have a deep, warm feeling for my son. That's why I'm able to share with him all that I know. 
Now, I've been blessed by God to have two sons. And when they were little, they used to follow me around. They, they used to listen to me. They still do sometimes. But there's something about the father-son. And especially as a, as a son takes on the characteristics of the father, and maybe if he has a business or he does a certain thing, the son says, I want to be just like dad. I want to take over the business. That's a great thing. Well, do you not think in this case that God, is, 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 as he has shared who he is and has bought into the fact that Jesus Christ is just the same as he, that that feeling is a special bond that they have? And the verb is in the present tense, which means this has been going on, been going on this deep feeling has been going on all the time. There's never been a time from eternity. God has loved the Son this way. If God loves the Son this way, how much does he love you and I? I think we forget about God's love towards us. I mean, with all the mess that's going on, guess what? God loves you. You know how I know he loves you? Because he woke you and I up this morning. Start us out on our way. He's washed over us to however old you are today. God's washed over you every step of the way. And for you and I not to recognize that it's because of God's love and God's grace and God's mercy that we're even here today. That's it. What did you do? What did I do last week that was so great that we should have woke up? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Well, Pastor, you don't know. I'm cute. Excuse me. You don't know, Pastor, but I do a lot behind the scenes. Excuse me. Glad you do. But you know what? What we do or don't do does not get us any brownie points with God. You know, I get tickled at sometimes my Catholic friends that talk about they're going to make so-and-so a saint. I said, Really? We're going, to make, we're going to give, I don't know who it was, maybe Mother Teresa, sainthood. I said, really? I'm already a saint. I was a saint the moment I believed. No, I'm not running around here asking you to call me St. Byron because I, that's, that's not necessary. But I am a saint granted by God. I'm already a saint. A saint is a called out one. Given to us by God by new birth in Christ. So guess what? If I'm a saint and you believe and I believe in the same God, confess our sins, believe in him, guess what? You're a saint. Not an ain't. A saint. You don't want to be an ain't. You want to be a saint. Put the S in the front. Because if you're an ain't, you're in trouble. Amen. Jesus says, we do the same thing. The Father says, I love the Son and show him all that, all that he himself is doing. And then God adds this. Okay. By what authority? I'm God. Me and the Father are one. And he says, by the way, just, just, just for your education, all you who are really unbelievers, because that's what they really were. They were unbelievers. They didn't believe Jesus. They didn't believe in God. They, they had a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. He says, for the Father loves the Son, shows him all that he himself is doing. And, by the way, Greater works than these will he show him so that you will marvel. Oh, wait a minute. What is going to be greater than raising this guy up that couldn't walk for 38 years? 
Basically what Jesus tell them, you ain't seen nothing yet. Case in point, we're going to learn about later on. What's greater than this? Oh, wait a minute. We're at the tomb of Lazarus. Oh, he's been dead for a couple days. His sisters, guess what? Jesus, where have you been? You should have been here when we told, we told you a couple days ago he was sick and you didn't make it. By now his body stinks. No problem. No problem with Jesus. Why? He's God. And there's going to be four different phrases. Four, 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 F-O-R. That God's going to explain because of who I am God. This is why. We'll get to that in the next couple of weeks. But Jesus spoke to a dead man. Lazarus. Get up. Rise. You know what Lazarus did? He got up. He had to get up. Why did he have to get up, Pastor? Because at the voice of Jesus, at the command of he who has the authority, at the command of God himself manifested in the physical body of Jesus Christ, he heard the voice of Jesus, he heard the voice of God, and he had no other choice but to get up. He who was dead actually got up and was alive. If that's not a greater work, the healing of God had been sick for 38 years, I don't know what else could be. Oh, wait a minute. The feeding of the, of the, of the thousands. Let's say 5,000, but there's more than 5,000 when you count women and children. More like 15, maybe 20,000 people out there on the hill with three loaves and two fish. Five loaves, I'm sorry, thank you. Five loaves and two fish. How do you feed, feed 20,000 people? It's like last week, we were concerned about the food. We thought we had about 18, 20-some people at our house. Mom says, oh, my, we've got this and got that. We're going to have enough food, so we'll be fine. We'll be good. God, God knows what he's doing. And you know what he did? Some people didn't show up that were going to show up. We still had plenty if they would have showed up. But God knows what he's doing. My, my, my application for all of us is this. Say, so, okay, Jesus is God. God is Jesus and all that. What does that mean for me? That means... If we can trust God in every aspect of our life, if God went to such lengths to show that he and, and the Son are one and all things work and they work together, what makes you and I think that he's not going to do that for us? The things that you and I are battling with, the things that we have doubts about, the things that we're fearful of, we have no reason to be there because the same God that does the same thing back then is the same God we serve today. The same God that helped Elisha when they looked around and couldn't see how he was going to win the battle is the same God that when you and I look around us and see all the things and say, I don't know how I'm going to make it, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but that's the same God. The same God that raised Lazarus from the dead is the same God that can raise you and I. And we may not be physically dead, but many of us are spiritually dead. We've grown indifferent and cold to the things of God. There was a time we would get up to be here on time because we were just that on fire. And now it's easier to hit the snooze alarm two, three, four, five times and say, oh, well, you know what, it's all right. There was a time we had a desire to want to know more about the Word of God. We were in our Bibles. We were reading. We were actually studying the Word of God. And now we are malcontents. We are content to read just the daily bread and really believe we understand the Bible and have a full understanding of who God is. No, you don't. It's a great little tool. It gets you started today. But it does not 
Take over, in fact, of knowing the Bible for yourself so that when you're in the world and somebody that's in a cult comes up to you and says, by the way, do you believe in a God? You can say, well, yeah, I believe in a God. No, no, I don't believe in a God. I believe in the God. You could, you, the only for a false $1 bill is that you got to study the real thing. And the only way you and I can confront a lot of these religions that are really not religions, they're false churches, false people that do not believe in the power of the living God. They put the word church on their name for the simple fact it snookers and buys people into who don't know their Bible. Oh, Pastor, can we all get along? No, we cannot all just get along. Not when it comes to the word. Amen. Love you. I had a, was watching something this past weekend. A pastor that I respected highly. He, he went to a college with his relative, Harvard University. They were going to Harvard. And they went to the religion and philosophy part of Harvard, their department. And he said, he asked me to go. So I said, sure, I'll go. Knowing that Harvard at one time was a, a, a bastion of Christian solid belief in knowing God. They've drifted so far away, they don't even believe in God. And they asked him, he's a known pastor, they asked him a question. Can we ask you a question? He said, sure. They said, so you really believe that a devout, sincere Muslim isn't going to go to heaven. And he said, I sat there and I thought to myself, this is a no-win situation. He said to these department chairs at Harvard University, yes, I believe that. And he just looked at him and then he spent the next few moments, just could not understand how he could even believe that was possible. And he said what I would have said. That man is saved by only one name. One name. It's not Confucius. It's not Muhammad. It's not everything. There's only one name whereby men and women, boys and girls can be saved. What's the name, Pastor? At the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. The issue isn't about our devotedness. The issue isn't about our sincerity. The issue is what do men, women, boys, and girls that are in our families, in our world, on our jobs, in our neighborhoods, what are we doing with Jesus? For how you and I handle Jesus determines our eternity. It has nothing to do. I love everybody and anybody, but the Bible, if I'm going to say that this is the word of God, and the word of God, there's more scriptures than the one that says that Jesus Christ is the way to salvation. Amen. If that is true, and if you believe it, I can't say you, I can't, I, I can't talk about myself, I can't talk about you, because you may not believe that. But if that is true, then there's no other name that people can be saved by. Amen. And does that seem hard and cruel? Yes. Does that seem unloving? Yes. But it's not meant to be. It's simply standing on the truth. The authority is not my belief. It's not because I don't believe this. They can, they, they're not saved. It's because the word of God says that if you don't believe, profess with thy mouth, believe with thy heart that Jesus is the 
Christ. Amen. Confess, profess, and if you believe he is Christ, you shall be, will be saved. It's talking about Jesus. Don't know what to say. Does that get me in trouble? Yes. People think I don't care about people. People think, I don't believe you could say that. There's a lot of people out there. They're, they're in that group. How can you just write them off? I'm not writing them all off. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Now, if they come to Jesus and believe in Christ, then guess what? They'll be saved. That's like anybody in here today. If you believe in Jesus and profess with your mouth, believe with your heart that he's Christ, you're saved. If you don't, you're not. And you have opportunity today to get saved. Say, so, man, that, that's the problem I have with Christianity. You people actually think you're the only way. No, I'm not saying, I'm saying Jesus is the only way. Well, how can you say that? I say that because this book says that. That's my only authority. And all Jesus was trying to get them to see is, I am God. Why are you running around here questioning that? And now they're plotting to kill him. And from this point till you get to the to the res- to the crucifixion and all that other in the end of John and the other gospels, this was started the road to Jesus. Be- they were after him to find and ultimately kill him. They did not like that he said he was God. And I believe one day they were not like me or anybody like me that's going to stand up and say that Jesus is the only way. There may come a time I pay a great price for this. In the movie uh, we went to go see a couple of weeks ago, there may be a time the government may say, we need, a, we need a manuscript of all your sermons just to see what you're saying. Because you're preaching hate. You're preaching intolerance. And one guy, one of the pastors in the movie, everybody was turning over there, well, here's my file, here's my file. And one guy said, can't do it. That gets me in trouble, that gets me in trouble. Where are you at? Where are you to take a stand for Jesus? Are you willing to take that kind of stand where the people who you know and love may actually disown you? They may not be your friends anymore. Do you really believe that? Wait a minute. Bro, you believe that? Yeah, I do. I can't have anything to do with you. Sorry. Your own relatives may look at you and say, you really believe that? You believe that this action is a sin? Really? This is what you think? This is 2016, man. Where Where are you at? Where are you? People don't think like that anymore. Should. They don't. I mean, you know how hard it is to pray when you're around unbelieving people? You know, I mean, when you go out to eat, do you take the time to, all right, everybody, let's bow our heads and pray. Knowing that everybody's looking at you. You're in the cafeteria at school. You're at the cafeteria at the hospital. And you're going to bow, everybody, bow your head. We all go out in fellowship with one another, and we go to a Red Lobster, we go to uh, Applebee's or wherever we're going to, and we're all sitting around a big, long table, and I say to, to Brother Tony, or I say to Brother, why don't you lead us in prayer? Now, what's your first thought? Are we talking about out loud, or are we talking about quietly? <laughs> I mean, I, I thought that one time, they said, McGee, pray, I went, what? Right here, right now? Yes, sir. I did it. But I had to think a second because I was like, man, 
you know, waitresses walking up and people walking by. And Father, we want to thank you for blessing us today for the fellowship with the other saints of God as we gathered here at Red Lobster. As you bless the fellowship, bless the time, and bless the food. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. But you know what happens sometimes? It's amazing what happens. The Bible says we are not to be ashamed. You don't know. I've had people, when I've done that, or there's people probably in this congregation, that they've done it, and somebody will walk up to you and say, you know what? Thank you. You're a Christian. I'm a Christian too. Appreciate that. I'm glad to see somebody else standing. Holy Spirit in the latter part of John, so that the three, God the Father, God the Son, God the Father, there are three distinct persons, but they only make up one God. I've been saying God is good all the time, and all the time is God. God is good. But you know what? I've been trying to change my, my phraseology. God is beyond good. God is great. And I don't know about you. But I'm glad he is God. And I'm glad he came into this world to die for my sins. And I'm really glad he died for me. And if I was to die in the next few moments, you know what's really good news for me? Oh, happy day. Is that I will be with Jesus. Now, I don't know where you are. I have no clue. And to be honest, part of me says I really don't need to know. That's between you and God. But guess what? If you're not right with God, then this is your time to get right. Brother Dixon and I went to, up to be with the family up here at the apartment when Doodles passed away. And I tell you what was amazing, and I told Brother Dixon this, we got in the car, I said, because while we were there, I took the opportunity to share with a couple people, man, two of people, one I work with and one I see around town, I said, you know it would really be great if you would come to church one time. Just once. Once. I ain't asking for five weeks in a row. Just one Sunday. You know what somebody does? One of the responses was, well, I know God knows my heart. And I know I'm right with God. And it's not all about, and I didn't say anything because I understand that's what people think. And I thought to myself, I know I am right with God. And I know it's not about, and I, and I. And I thought to myself, it's not about I. It's about making sure he knows you're right. Because I, in my own self, might think I'm all right. But in actuality, I'm far away. So, yes, if you're here today and you really sense that the Lord's calling you, you know what, you can take this opportunity and say, you know what, I thought I was one place and, I find myself needing to be coming down to say, you know what, I want to be saved. It's a great opportunity you have today.